so we are uh, continuing our series on identity. Um, this is actually part six. And uh, today I want to talk about friendship with God. It's amazing that God actually um, identifies with us on a friendship level. It's phenomenal. And um, so what's the best kind of ship? Friendship. Friendship is the best kind of ship if you didn't know that. So we're going to talk about friendship today. And there's a few different ways that the Bible um, we're able to relate. The Bible talks about how we're able to relate to God. Um, for example, um, there is the, the dynamic, the dimension of our relation with God of servant slash slave. Like that exists and I don't know if we ever fully graduate from being servants of the Most High. Um, then the Bible talks about us being sons and daughters of God, right? Um, the Bible talks about us being friends with God. The Bible talks about the church being like the bride of Christ, okay? So there's these different ways, and it's kind of like um, there's different facets of the same thing, and the Bible speaks about the way we relate to God, the way God relates to us in many different ways, and it's like looking at a diamond. A diamond has many different facets and many different ways to look at it, and the Bible um, shows us that. And so we'll be looking at some of those facets here in the next couple weeks, um, but this particular week, we're going to talk about um, f- friendship with God. Um, now, today is the day of Pentecost, as Dre said earlier, and that was such an amazing time of worship, and we, I love that the Holy Spirit um, has been poured out on, all, on people as recorded in the book of Acts. And what a privilege it is for us that we actually have a God who relates to us as friends. He, he comes and he takes up residence and lives in our hearts, and like in the Old Testament, People, the, the, the spirit of the Lord would, come, would rest upon people, would come upon people when there was a particular task or something they were supposed to accomplish, um, but then the presence of God would lift off of that person, the anointing would lift off of that person, and then they would need to do something else, and the spirit of the Lord would rest upon them. And in the New Testament, like we are in, like the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of our hearts, and he's with us every single day, and he doesn't lift. It's, it's so good. And, you know, sometimes we feel him more than other times, but the fact is, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, like, he lives in your hearts. He took up residence in your heart. And so, um, I want to talk just um, kind of real quick about um, the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and how that relates to friendship. Um, did you know that the Christian life, the Christian life that you are called to is impossible without the Holy Spirit? The Christian life you are called to is impossible without the Holy Spirit. We're pretty good at recognizing like the command of Jesus like in Matthew 10, 8, where he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, um, cast out demons. We're, we're pretty good at realizing like, okay, that's gonna be impossible without God, right? Like to raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the leper. Those are impossibilities without God. But I think we're less aware many times that the entire Christian lifestyle Everything he's called us to is impossible without God, was impossible without the Holy Spirit. The particular impossibility that I want to talk to you about today, because impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, the particular impossibility I want to talk to you, highlight to you, is that it's impossible to know your true identity in Jesus without having the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 16, it says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
So when the Holy Spirit's in your heart, he actually testifies and bears witness with your spirit that you are God's child. That is so good. And I'll say it this way. My point is, it, it actually takes God to know God. It actually takes God to reveal God. It takes God to know God. And, and God is actually looking for friends in this world. God is looking like the Almighty God who created everything. He's looking for friendship. And he's looking for those who would know his heart. He's looking for those who would walk with him and know his heart. And so you guys have heard the term um, friends with benefits. Don't raise your hand if you had a friend with benefits. But <laughs> if you don't know what friends with benefits is, it's, um, uh, it's all the physical benefits of a relationship, if you know what I mean, without any of the uh, responsibilities, commitment, and connection that it requires, okay? Um, basically, it's two people using each other, not committing to one another. And I think a lot of Christians approach God like, I want to be friends with God, but friends with benefits. Like, but they're not committed and they're not sold out to God. And that's not what God is after. God is after friends that know his heart, that walk with him, that know how he thinks, to know how he moves. And it does, by the way, happen to be some amazing benefits walking with God in this world. So there are benefits, but he is looking on our, half, on our behalf. He's looking for commitment in our lives. And so I wanna, today I want to focus on, I just want to highlight, um, well, there's, there's five people in the Bible that God said, the Bible says they were friends, or God said they were friends, or um, there's five people, and I want to, actually, I only have time to really highlight three of them today, but um, I want to look at three of these people that God called friends, and I want to see, number one, what was the qualification for friendship, and number two, what was the benefit of the friendship they had? Does that sound good? Okay, so, um, by the way, so the, the, there's we're going to focus on two that were in the Old Testament today and then one in the New Testament today and the other, the other two that I don't have time for in the New Testament. But um, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Um, the way he deals with humanity, though, does change from dispensation to dispensation. And in the Old Testament, they didn't have, like I said earlier, they didn't have the grace of God indwelling them. They didn't have the Spirit of God living in their hearts. Therefore, they really didn't have the grace to change. They didn't have the grace to be transformed. And so, I hear music. Yes, Lord? <laughs> a sound, of, a mighty sound of rushing wind came in. Where am I? Uh, anyway, I just want to say, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the ability to change and they kept falling back in their old ways and, and God was like mad at them a lot, okay? In the New Testament, we don't have that excuse because we have grace. So even though we're gonna read some of these Old Testament verses, I'm not necessarily focusing on like uh, how God deals with us, but I am, we are focusing on what does it look like when we have friendship with God, okay? Does that sound good? So um, the first person I wanna talk about, the first person I wanna highlight is Abraham. The Bible actually calls Abraham a friend of God more than any other person in scripture. Um, James 2, 22 through 23, it says this, you see um, that his faith, speaking of Abraham, and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Okay? So friendship requirement number one is faith in God. He believed God, he had faith in God, he followed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So friendship requirement number one is faith in God. In this case, his faith also led to actions. And our faith should as well. 
like we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works, right? It should lead us into something. And you guys know the story, but God had promised Abraham that um, he would have a son and that a nation and a people would, would come through his, his son and that all nations of the earth would eventually be blessed through that nation. Of course, that nation we know is the Jewish people in Israel, which by the way, they just had their 70th anniversary as a nation, which is really awesome. Yeah, that's really good. I don't know if I've said this from the pulpit, but we are a pro-Israel church. We believe in, in God restoring the Jewish people to their, to their homeland. He's a covenant-keeping God. Um, I, but I remember when I got to this, um, okay, so God promised Abraham he would have a son and that a nation would come through him and all nations would be blessed through um, what would happen through that. And then God decided along the way to test Abraham by telling him to go ahead and sacrifice his son of promise. I remember the first time I read this story, I was like 15 years old. I wasn't really raised in like uh, children's church. I wasn't really part of a youth group, but I was 15 years old and I'm, I just decided to start reading the Bible for whatever reason, I don't know. And I get to this story in Genesis, um, I think it's Genesis 23, and um, I get to this story where God you know, he's promising, there's a promise trial, and like, oh, miracle happens. Sarah was able to become pregnant. They have, a, they have a son, Isaac. And then God's like, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. And I remember getting to that, and I didn't, I didn't know how it was gonna end. Like, I didn't know. Have you ever been there? Is it, like, the first time you read the story, I was like, God, why are you doing this? I'm like praying and wrestling over what's happening. I'd never, um, I never, I didn't know how it was gonna, it, you know, it's a pretty suspenseful story if you don't know how it's gonna end. Like, is he gonna just knife his son right there and there, you know, and, oh, is that what you like, God, you know? <laughs> and so, but before, you know, I'm learning about God here, trying to figure out what he's like. Apparently he wants you to kill people. Um, but before Abraham drops the knife, um, the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven and says this, Genesis 22, uh, 11 through 12. He says, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Okay, so, uh, and at that point when I'm reading this for the first time, I'm like, okay, God, awesome, you're good. This isn't so bad after all. But listen, he says, your son, your one and only son. Does that sound familiar? Father God in heaven gave his one and only son for you and for me and for all of creation, all of humanity. And I think at that point, God actually had empathy for what Abraham was doing because God knew what he would have to do with his one and only son. And so there was this relationship where Abraham understood what it was like, what Father God was going to go to. They had something in common that no other person, to my knowledge, um, Abraham was the only person in history that was willing to do that. But God is like, God's like, this is my friend. He gets me. He understands what I'm going to go through. He knows what it's like to be willing to sacrifice everything. And they had this, this relationship. He was called a friend of God. Go on to verse, 20, uh, verse 13. It says, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught in the horns. Caught by its horns. I need a ram in the thicket. Ram. <laughs> okay. Okay, some people get the, get the reference. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as the burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. He just names the place. This is the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So I want to say friendship benefit number one in your life, the Lord will provide for you. 
If you're walking with God, you're friends with God, and, and your faith, your trust, you're following him, he will be your provider. He will show himself as your provider. Okay? When you trust God with, every, uh, with everything, he reveals himself as your provider. He's the God who provides. Okay, let's look at person number two. The second person that God talked about in scripture as being, the Bible talks about in scripture as being friends was Moses. Exodus 33, 11, it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses, would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Okay, Moses spoke to the Lord face to face as one speaks with a friend. Listen, face-to-face implies intimacy, right? Face-to-face implies there's a closeness, there's a connection, right? And we need to allow ourselves to come face-to-face with God. We need to allow ourselves to have intimacy and a connection with our living God. If you want to be friends with God, you have to be willing to pursue a close relationship with him. You have to be willing to listen. You can tell God anything. You can talk to him about anything. Listen, he already knows it anyway, right? He is God. He is all-knowing. He, is, he knows everything. But listen, it is, there's something about, God, why do, I need to, why do I need to tell you what you already know? Why do I need to talk to you about what you already know? Listen, he wants to hear your voice. He's looking for a relationship with you. He's looking to connect with you. He's looking to hear your voice. He desires intimacy with you. So in this case, intimacy is both a requirement and a benefit of being um, friends with God. So uh, friendship requirement number two, intimacy with God. God is looking for friends, but he's looking for friends that would walk with him and be close with him. Intimacy. But I'll give you one more benefit from the life of Moses. Moses was able, through friendship, to actually change God's mind. He was actually, God said, I'm going to do something. He was actually able to change God's mind. Look at this. Um, Exodus 32, 7 through 14. Moses is, uh, he's up on Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other things he wants the children of Israel to do. The children of Israel, they get tired of waiting, and then they make a golden calf, so they mess up royally, right? God just like did all these amazing things, told them not to worship other images. They make a golden calf. They screwed up royally, okay? So God's mad. God's mad at this point. This is what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, your, God's like, those aren't my people, those are your people, Moses. It's like when your kid does something, and your wife's like, your child, look what your child did, <laughs> right? Moses is like, look what your people did. They're not even my people. <laughs> look what your child did. <laughs> Go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, you brought out of Egypt? What are you talking about? Moses didn't split the sea. Like Moses didn't do the plagues. Like God did all that. God's like, they're not mine. <laughs> you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves a, an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they, have, they are a stiff-necked people. And then he says, it's like God's kind of like a, a little bit throwing <laughs> temper tantrum here. God's like, now leave me alone. He says to his friend Moses, now leave me alone. Like, go away that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Like he want, he's about to destroy like all of them, like the, all the children of Israel. Then I will make you into a great nation. Verse 11, Moses said, then Moses said, uh, sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that you brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? This is what Moses says to God. Turn from your fierce anger and relent and do not bring um, disaster on your people. Then look at this, verse 13. He says, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you, sw- whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give you descendants all this land has promised them and I will be their inheritance forever. Moses is like, God, you can't do this. Don't forget your promises. You promised them. And he's calling it, the Bible actually talks about, I don't know why this is the case. He makes promises in our lives. He makes promises in the Bible. And we're actually supposed to call God to remembrance of his promises. We're actually supposed to remind him as if he needed reminding of the promises he has in our life. Listen, if he's spoken something over you, he's promised you something in your life, I just want to say that in order for that thing to happen, sometimes you have to keep calling God to remembrance of that thing that he's spoken to you. And Moses, in this case, he said, hey, things aren't lining up. They're not looking the way they should. And maybe in your life, things aren't lining up the way that God spoke to you they should or the things he's promised you. Maybe it's time for you to stop and call God to remembrance of the things he's spoken over you. Because if you're a friend of God, apparently you can turn the heart of God. Amen? Okay, so Moses changed God's mind. And by the way, the, with the children of Israel, this happened, if you, if you read through that, it's like, <laughs> there are several times where God's like, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. Like, and Moses like talks him down, like several times. There's, there's even one point where, where God's like, all right, I won't kill them, but go into the promised land, I'm not going with you. Just go, leave me here. And Moses is like, God, listen, if you're not going, we're not going. If you're not going to the promised land, we're not going. We're all staying together. Moses was an important guy. We wouldn't have these patriarchs at all. Okay, so I'm going to kill him. No, you can't. You promised. And by the way, Abraham, Abraham did this too. God was planning on destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Which he did. But he was planning on destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And this, this is what Abraham says to God. He says, uh, Genesis 18, 22. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? (laughs) He's talking to God here. Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating righteous and wicked alike. Look at this, far be it from you, exclamation point. He's like raising his voice and yelling at God. Far be it from you to do such a thing. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? He's like, it's almost like condescending. Like, will not the judge, the creator, will you not do right? It's like, look at the audacity that this man has when speaking to God. Why could he do that? Why was he able to do that? He was a friend of God. Listen, you can have conversations like that. Not You can't boss God around. He is the creator of the universe. He's in charge. But like, you can have these conversations with him. God, you said, God, you promised. God, I'm calling it to remembrance. You promised me this. You said this. I want it. I want it to happen. I want it to move forward. Like, because of friendship with God. Look at God's response, verse uh, 26. Then the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham proceeds to talk God down, like from 50 to 45, 40, like talks them down to 10 people. He's like, what if there's 40? What if there's 35? What if there, I don't know the exact numbers going all the way down, but he talks God, going back and forth, talks God down to 10 people. Unfortunately, there weren't 10 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, so <laughs> that were righteous. 
think there maybe five. You should have said five. But listen, this seems like audacious. And in terms of like God speaking judgment or God moving on, on behalf of our lives, if we have a friendship with God, we're able to talk to God and dialogue with God about these things. Okay. Um, 2 Peter 3.12 talks about hastening the day of the Lord. Hastening means like to hurry it up. Like, okay, so put that scripture up. As you look forward to the day of God and, and speed its coming. So there's two things. We're supposed to look forward to the day of, of our, the Lord. But it says apparently we can speed its coming. I don't know about you, but I always thought of the day of the Lord as like a set day. No one knows. And it's like God determined it's set. But here in the scripture, there's something, apparently we can speed the day of the Lord's coming. Jesus did say that he wouldn't return until all of the earth, the gospel will be preached until all over the earth. I think that's one way we can hasten, hurry the day of the Lord is by preaching the gospel all over the earth. And so is the day of the Lord set or is God looking for some friends in these last days to partner with him to speed the day of the Lord, to hasten its coming? Is it set or is, he, or is he looking for friends to have influence in these last days? I don't have a good place in my like, personal theology for that. I don't like, know where to put that, but I do know it's interesting and I do know that God is looking for friends. He's looking for people who will partner with him. He's looking for people that will know his heart. And so I'll just make this super practical. I don't exactly have all that figured out, but I do know this. In your life, he is the God who intervenes. He is the God who you can cry out to. He is the God who will change things because he hears our prayers. Amen? So friendship benefit number two, God hears our prayers and he intervenes. Okay, so we'll do one more. One more, one more, per- actually the third person is not a person, but it's a group of people and that's the disciples that were following Jesus and by implication, all of us, okay? It was we're followers of Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 13 through 14, it says this, greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for his friends, Look at this, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I tried that out on my friends one time. It didn't go well. <laughs> Said you're my friends. Do what I command you. <laughs> it didn't, then I didn't have any friends anymore. <laughs> but this brings us, of course, for Jesus, it's different, okay? Friendship requirement number three. Obey, you have to obey the words of Jesus. Not as a servant, but as a friend. Obeying and knowing as a friend what Jesus is saying. I'll give you an example. You know who your true friends are when like, you go to move, right? You get your boxes, it's time to move. You ask some friends. The ones that show up, those are your true friends right there, okay? And in this case, with Jesus, it's like when he asks us to do something, he knows who his true friends are because we take it to heart. We want to do what he's saying. Um, my friend Ben, which, who's Ben? I, I probably should. He's at a bike race. Okay. My friend Ben, who, who's our uh, youth director, he's helped me move like, I don't know, three or four times. So I would call him a true friend for sure. But Ben will show up and he'll, he'll say this a lot. And even with the church and stuff, he's like, I'm here from the neck down. In other words, I'm not here to think. I'm just here to like get to work. I'm here to get busy. And some, listen, sometimes in the kingdom of God, it's okay to show up and be available from the neck down. Like, I, God, I don't have this figured out. I don't know why you want me to do this. I don't care. I'm just going to do it, okay? But apparently, that is the prerequisite for being friends with Jesus. You are my friend if you obey what I command. Listen, real friends get in the trenches with you. If you're a real friend of someone, you get in the trenches with them. When they're going through something hard, you get in the trenches with them and you fight with them, okay? 
And so my question is, are you concerned for what God is concerned for? Are you in the trenches with God? When I was, when we were raising money for City Lights Church, I said, I'm gonna do this crazy thing. I'm gonna hike these mountains. I, we, we hiked 14 mountains, 14, um, 14ers in 14 days. So 14 peaks over 14,000 feet in 14 days. And I'm like, we're gonna do something crazy and we're gonna put it out there and we're gonna raise money for this church. And, but listen, it wasn't about Pastor Kurt getting up there and like crushing hikes. It was about like involving a lot of people. And so I would say I found out who a lot of my good friends were when I hiked those mountains. I've, I probably invited 80 to 100 people to come hike with me. And we probably had about 30 awesome people hike. I only did two mountains by myself. Like we found out who some great friends were when we'd hike those mountains. And so if you're actually a friend of Jesus, you will care about the things he cares about. You will get in the trenches with Jesus. I'll give you an example. Something that Jesus is deeply concerned about in this world. Jesus is deeply concerned about his lost sheep. Jesus paid the price for everyone, you, me, the entire world, and I want Jesus to get what he paid for. I want my friend who died for me to also get everything else he's paid for. I want my life to be that for him. And so that's the price to the requirement for friendship with Jesus. What's the benefit? John 15, 15, he says, no longer, uh, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. If you have a servant, you have a slave and you're doing a task, a job, you just go do that and you don't have to tell them why. You don't have to tell them the grand scheme, the big picture. But listen, when we're friends with God, he like lets us in on the secret. He lets us in on the big picture. He tells us why. How many of you guys, when you were being raised, um, you tell your kids to do something or your parents told you to do something and then of course the question is always like, why? right? Why do I need to do that? I remember that as a kid, like my mom would say, do this. I'd be like, why? And then the answer of course is, because I said so, because I told you so. And I remember <laughs> when I was being raised, I, I, I told myself, I'm never going to say that to my kids. <laughs> I'm, they're going to say why, and then I'm going to explain everything to them. I'm going to sit down. Here's why, honey. And I'm going to go through all the why. And then I became a parent. <laughs> and I realized after becoming a dad that there are, you're like in a hurry or in a store, you don't have time to explain to a four-year-old the inner workings of all why you want them to do something. Just, you know what, right now, can you just listen to me and I'll tell you why later, right? And so sometimes as a parent, because I said so, it needs to be enough. But with, with God, if we start with, because I told you so, he actually does this the other side of it, which is he tells us why. He lets us in on, a, on the secret. So start with obedience. Jesus will show you why. Friendship benefit number three is that God tells us his secrets. Um, have you ever had a dream and like, I don't know, this has happened to me a few times and I don't know if this is unique to me, but have you ever had a dream and like then the dream happens like that day or a few days after that? Has that happened to anyone? Yeah, okay. So like, what is God doing? He's, revealing something to you that's going to happen. I know, for a personal example, I've gone into like difficult meetings. You're meeting with someone, you're meeting, and, and God like prepares me ahead of time. Like this thing is gonna be, I, I dreamt that someone said this, it was really awkward and it was like kind of painful. I, sometimes I've dreamt that that happened before it happened and it actually kind of prepares me for when it happens. Or God will like show you someone's motive, you know, in a dream or in a meeting or whatever. 
Um, when I was, when Emily and I first got married, we had this um, townhouse here in Greeley, and I had this dream that in our closet, in our in our main bedroom, I had a dream that in our closet there was, uh, up, up on the shelf in our closet, I had a dream that there was a gargoyle up in the closet. So I, I woke up and I'm like, gargoyle, probably not a good thing. So... <laughs> So I felt like the Lord was maybe saying, hey, there's something in your closet I don't like. There's something there that I want you to get rid of. And so, so we go into the closet and we look on the top shelf and like we really don't see anything. And then I noticed that there's an attic like access there. I was like, well, let's grab a ladder. Let's just take a look up there real quick. So <laughs> we're living at this house. I grab a ladder. I open the attic um, entry and like there is pornography up there. Like, but it's like 80s porn. Like someone left it up there and the girls have like, <laughs> I didn't look, I gave it to her. But the front, the front picture, the girls had, you know, 80s, 80s hair going on. I didn't look, did I? Okay, good. She was there. But listen. <laughs> so if you have a dream of a gargoyle somewhere in your house, you probably should get rid of it. Whatever that it is. But listen, my friend the Holy Spirit, there was something in my house that was grieving him. I, I wasn't even in the attic. I, didn't, I, didn't, I never went up there. I never saw that. That wasn't the thing. It wasn't, it wasn't affecting me. But he still didn't like it in my home. God was still like, I don't like this junk in your home. I want you to get rid of it. And who knows, even if we had lived there and moved out, maybe someone else would have found it. He, didn't, he doesn't like that stuff. And so my friend was revealing a secret to me, okay? Um, but there, there's other times where I'll have a dream and like the thing happens and there's like, it's not like super directional. It's not like I'm prepared for something. It's just like, okay, I dreamt that I would stand here and wow, I stood here. Like, that's crazy. And sometimes, sometimes God will just like give you a dream. And to my knowledge, I can't pinpoint any one thing. Like, why did you show me this? I, I, it's not a directional thing or anything. It's not really even helpful info. Like, but I, it's cool. Like, cool, I dreamt this and then it happened. And I just think sometimes, Lord, not even because he's trying to lead you or guide you. Sometimes he'll just tell you secrets because you're a friend. Just because he likes to reveal secrets. And with those kind of situations, even if there's not something amazing, earth-shattering, or prepared me for some crazy thing, sometimes I think the Lord's just like, I got you right where you are. You're in my will. You, you ended up standing in that place where you dreamt about and then you didn't think of the dream until you stood there, you know, that kind of thing. Like sometimes I think he's just like, I got you where you're at. You're right where you need to be. And I like to tell my friends secrets. And so sometimes there's not even something amazingly profound. And by the way, did you know that you don't even need to share everything that God shows you? Sometimes he'll show something to you and he's like, I just want to keep this between you and me. I just want to reveal this thing to you and I just want to keep it between you and me. Or he'll tell you to go give money to someone or help someone. And then, you know, sometimes we kind of want to like do this, tell people that, oh, look what I did, talk about. And sometimes I'll just hear the Holy Spirit like, let's just keep that between us. Like that thing you did, like, let's let that be our secret. And like, I have this secret with God. I have, a, I have a thing, something I did, and I know that my reward is between me and him, and my reward is in heaven. And so God reveals secrets to his friends. And so uh, to conclude, we'll just kind of recap this. I'll pray and let you guys go. The friendship requirements that we covered today. Number one, faith in God, intimacy with God, and obey the words of Jesus. Get in the trenches with Jesus. Be concerned for what he's concerned for. Friendship um, benefits. Number one, the Lord will provide for you. He's your provider. Number two, 
he hears and answers prayer and he intervenes in our lives and on our behalf. And number three, God tells secrets to friends and he will tell you not just what you're doing or what to do, but he'll tell you why you're doing it. He'll give you a picture, a scheme of what he's doing on earth because you're a friend. Amen? All right, I'm gonna pray and then, uh, yeah. Father, I just thank you for um, everyone here, Lord God. I thank you that, God, you are looking for friendship, Lord. You are looking for those, Lord, who walk this earth, who would know your heart, who would know your will, who would walk with you, be obedient to your words, have intimacy with you, Lord. And Lord, I pray that um, you would just teach us to be friends. I pray that the members here at City Light Church, we would be friends with God, that you would reveal yourself to us in this way. And I just release that over one here in Jesus' name. Amen.